Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to our next installment of Across the Street. Today we have a very special guest with us, the one and only Dr. David Simel, who really needs no introduction. But in the event that you guys aren't familiar with him yet, you certainly will be soon. Dr. Simel started his Duke career here all the way back in medical school, did his residency in Duke Medicine, did a chief year as well, and now serves as the chief of medicine at the Durham VA. He is also the editor of the JAMA Rational Clinical Exam. Series. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Seibel. Thanks for inviting me, Laura. Yeah, so today we're going to just talk about the VA and why it's awesome. I want to talk about why I love the VA. Yeah, yeah. So why do you love the VA? Well, Dr. let me just say in, in, in my experience, even as a Duke medical student, I found that there were people who decided whether or not they loved the VA or not before they even walked into the VA. Hmm. And so I wanted to tell you why I love the VA. And for me, I loved it before I walked into it. And I didn't know why. <laughs> uh, I was looking forward to it. I was of an age where I fortunately missed going to Vietnam. We had a draft lottery when I was in college. And as long as you stayed in school and had a low enough draft number, you weren't going to get into the military. And so I think for me, there was always sort of this sort of sense of who were these people. And I wanted to meet the veterans. And so I was really looking forward to it. And I did my medicine rotation at the VA, eight weeks at the VA as a mm -hmm. second year medical student. And I, I really loved it. The reasons I loved it, I think, still apply for a trainee. And this is something I should have mentioned in your bio. You completed two years of HEMOG fellowship. Is that right? One year. One year of Hemonc Fellowship, is that One right? One year in hell, and then I was on to the primary care. Gotcha. Okay. Did you do that at the VA? Well, so we did it in both places. So what, okay. what had happened was I was a third-year resident planning to go into Hemonc. I'd already accepted a, a spot. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Yarger, who's our, our chief of medicine, asked me if I would be the, a chief resident that year, right after my senior resident year. So, you know, I thought about it and I said yeah it sounds pretty good and I put off doing the hemonc for a year during my chief year I realized that I needed to be in primary care for a couple reasons one was that I was married to an obstetrician gynecologist and I wasn't quite sure how we were going to work out you know our call schedules and the other was I realized that I wanted to do research and my research interests were really pretty eclectic. You know, I was like a dilettante. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And primary care was going to let me do that. There's a sense of freedom there and wonderment and high expectation and high energy and total ownership of your patients that wasn't like anything I experienced anywhere else as a second year medical student. Tell me what you mean by you felt freedom at the VA. Well, I, you were free to learn from your patients without an incredible amount of oversight. There's a lot more <laughs> oversight now. I vividly remember we drew blood on our own patients for venipuncture, and if you wanted a blood test, you had to get the blood test. But That's actually you, only uh, recently changed. <laughs> yeah, but the way we, we ordered tests there, where we had punch cards. And I remember sitting there filling out punch cards for the test that I wanted to order. So CBC, Chem 7, all the 
GI panels, and I remember one night, ceruloplasmin, what's ceruloplasmin? So I bubbled in ceruloplasmin, and it was my opportunity to get a ceruloplasmin level and then learn about what ceruloplasmin was. It wasn't the greatest way to learn because my resident had to take the chart to morning report and the chair of medicine asked him, why did you get a serum ceruloplasmin on this patient? Which of course, patient had nothing to do with ceruloplasmin <laughs> and my resident had no idea that I was learning. Uh-huh. Um, but you have the freedom you know, to learn and go where you wanna go with the patient. So it, it's just, it's fun. It is fun. And this is such a unique patient population, too, because nothing scares them. They are really tough guys. They've seen war. They've seen combat. A learner who's never done an IV before, asking them to practice never scares them at all. They're always more than happy to have that person work with them. It did take me a long time, though, to understand that these were not patients who were just there for my learning and for my pleasure. And I, I, I sort of had that attitude when I first started there that patients were patients and there wasn't anything unique about these patients other than that they allowed me to take care of them. And it wasn't until I joined the faculty for a couple of years that I realized that, you know, when I was 18 and trying to walk down Franklin Street late at night in a straight line, <laughs> that these guys were in rice paddies in Vietnam dodging bullets and hitting the mud and trying to not get killed. And it took me a long time to realize that these guys were soldiers. And once I realized that they were soldiers, I really was able to sort of embrace their history and their stories. And it opened up a whole new line of avenues and questioning for me to sort of relive recent history of the United States and of the world. And it became very, very different and more impactful for me. Have you found that it changes the way you talk to patients? So when I go in to see a patient on rounds at the VA, I always ask them when they were in the service. I ask them what branch of the service they were in. But I also ask them, well, what did you do in the military? And that's where you get just like the most amazing, great stories. Most people will want to talk to you about it because a lot of them haven't been asked. So... Yeah, it has changed the way I think about them and and talk to them. Do you find that most of them are pretty forthcoming about their stories? Yeah, unless something really bad happened to them that they just don't feel like they can talk about. Then you've learned something, and that's impactful, and you might not have learned it without asking them, what did they do in the service? Yeah, it's a whole separate facet to these people that most other hospitals don't have. And... In my experience, at least, they usually are happy and even excited to talk about their experience, with a few exceptions, of course. And there's actually a service at the VA called the My Story Service. Have you ever used that before? Yeah, actually, I have a patient who is going to be 100 years old this year. Wow, an outpatient. um, He's an outpatient. I've been following him for maybe probably 35 years now. He's Jewish, and he was in a, a German POW camp. And so he just recorded his story, and it's kind of fascinating. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as I've known this patient, when I listen to the recording in his story, I learned some things about him that I hadn't known before. Yeah. So if if the residents ever want to see those notes, they're in the same place in CPRS as the LST notes in the upper right-hand corner. So if you see that, I highly encourage you to click it and read it. I didn't know that, so I learned something. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's how you find them. They're in there. One more thing about the patients that I think I want to correct a stereotype that some people have who've decided they 
don't like the VA before they get there. And that is that our patients are actually really smart. And on average, our patients have a higher socioeconomic status than the patients on Duke Gen Med. And that kind of sounds counterintuitive to people, but it's counterintuitive because they have the wrong stereotype. You have to remember that to get in the military, you have to graduate from high school. That's not a requirement to get admitted to the Gen Med service at Duke, mm-hmm. but it is a requirement to be a vet that you have to get through high school. And then they have, they, most of them have incomes, or at least have had incomes. So the socioeconomic status is actually pretty good. That leads into the other thing that I really love about the VA, and that is how much you can really do for your patients without being constrained by what they have or don't have. You mean in terms of resources? Yeah, absolutely, in terms of resources. When I was chief resident, I, I remember that the house staff would occasionally complain, well, they couldn't get their patient this medicine or that medicine, or it took so long to get maybe a CT scan. Mm-hmm. And they would complain about their perceived lack of resources. But then when you question them, you know, it's like, well, imagine you're in you know, your university clinic and you want to order a medicine for a patient and you give them a prescription, do they get it filled? Maybe they do and maybe they don't. At the VA, everyone gets them filled. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want a CT scan, do they get that CT scan done or not? Well, maybe they do or maybe they don't and maybe they do and now they're financially in a lot of trouble because they got that CT scan you ordered. And at the VA, we don't have to worry about financial access to health care. They all have it. We don't have to get lots of things pre-approved. Some things we do, but far less than you might have to in the private sector. So our patients have really good access to care. Mm-hmm. They may have to wait a little longer, but they get what you need them to get. And that's been real nice. That's especially true with things like prosthetics, in physical therapy, and some of the other modalities we order, they all have great and easy access. So it's made it, for me, an easy place to practice medicine. Yeah, that's a great point. Certain medications that are really expensive are very easily accessed at the VA compared to other places also. I remember on GenMed a couple months ago, I think it was, we had a gentleman who was concerned about whether he was going to treat his cancer or not because he was worried about the bill. And we were able to just talk to him and say, that's not something that you have to worry about here. I don't think that would happen elsewhere. No, the the notion of financial toxicity just Mm -hmm. doesn't apply to most of our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, The VA has a very... A robust way of thinking about what we provide our patients and we do use a lot of evidence if you want to do evidence-based care the VA is the place you want to be mm-hmm. for house staff and faculty who are interested there are really excellent guidelines from the pharmacy committees that you really can learn a lot by going through and figuring out how VA made their decisions about what medications to order Sometimes, you know, that require that does require getting permission to make sure you're meeting evidence-based guidelines. But another nice thing about the VA is people, you know, say, oh, there's so many rules and rules this, rules that. But you know what the rules are. A great thing about VA is you can get the rules changed. Do you have an example? Yeah, you know, when I'm recruiting for chief resident each year, you know, I talk about what the differences are between the chief residencies that we have. And the chief resident at the VA is very much integrated into the entire hospital. Mm -hmm. Every chief resident leaves their imprint on the VA. Mm -hmm. Every chief resident 
question sort of policies or processes for some of the things we do and seeks a way to improve things that works their way into, into policy and they leave a mark on the VA. Residents can speak up if they see something that's not right. We have a culture at the VA that facilitates, that encourages you to speak up if you see something wrong and we act on it, we change it, we improve it, it's dynamic. So at the VA, it's more than just being at a hospital where you work. You're part of the citizenry of the hospital and we look to everyone to speak up and tell us what's working, what not working, so we can try to fix it. By no means do I mean to suggest we're perfect, Mm -hmm. but we're very open to people who have suggestions to improve things and we always try to figure out a way to improve things. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen that happen in real time, at least in the last few years that I've been there. There's a way that we can report if there's something that we wish had gone differently while we were working on the floors, and they're called JSPERS now, and they used to be EPERS before. Every time one of those is submitted, there is a committee of humans that looks at those and looks at patterns within them to identify, is there a way that we could change a process or we could change a policy that would make these challenges not happen in the future? Yeah, I can't get into the details of ones we're working on right now, but (laughs) we have one that we're working on right now that had to do with attending coverage for one of our house officers and was the attending coverage that we worked out proper. Mm -hmm. And so we're stepping back and we're taking a serious look to figure out what skills our attendings bring to the table and to make sure they're aligned with what they may may be asked to do when they're supervising house staff. And that was brought up by house staff. Um, So, yeah, we're very responsive at the VA, and everyone sort of owns the VA, and everyone's job is to try to figure out a way to make the VA better. Yeah, and, you know, since we're on that subject of supervision and autonomy, there's always somebody there to talk to. Uh, You know, as a hospitalist, I can say from personal experience, we are in the hospital 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if a resident ever needs to reach out to us, whether in the unit or on the floors, you know, we're around. There are intensivists on duty who are available off hours, so there's lots of resources that the on-call residents have, even if they're attending. If you need help, all you have to do is speak up and not be afraid to speak up. Um, I need help, you'll get help. Yeah. Laura, another thing about the VA is, I mean, I've talked a little bit about medical students, a little bit about residents, a little bit about what it's like doing clinical work there and the access to care that your patients have. But the VA has been great for my career. One of the things that's really fun about the VA is that if you want to make yourself useful when you're on the faculty, you can make yourself useful. You can find a way (laughs) to get involved. You're a great example. You know, no one started you on the path to doing podcasts for across the street. You just had this idea and you wanted to do it and you ran with it. The VA, it's really easy to do this. All you have to do is show interest. There are multiple committees working to improve things. There are multiple ways to get support to do things. One of the nice things about the way you're paid at the VA, your salary doesn't come from each unit of care that you do like at Duke where you're paid for service. At the VA, you're paid to be on the staff, and you've got a general job, and you stick to that job. And if you have time to do other things, you can do other things without without fear of how how am I going to get paid to do this podcast. I mean, we're sitting here right now doing Mm -hmm. this podcast, and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I early on decided I wanted to do research on the physical exam. I never, ever could have done that at a university where I would, there's no way because I would have had to get funding 
to protect my time mm-hmm. to do this kind of research. And trust me, there are not a lot of funding opportunities in the physical exam. You know, you do that kind of research because it's fun, it's interesting to you, you think someone else will find it interesting, but you're not going to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the VA, you can carve out time on the faculty. You can figure out a way to, to do things like this, which makes it great. You know, it, it gives you a lot of freedom, not just to learn while you're in training, but to continue to grow professionally. How about favorite experience teaching? Favorite experience teaching? I guess this isn't a, a one thing deal, but sure. I was in the first group of graduates that got a master's degree in clinical research. We call it a master's in biometry. And then right after that, we figured out a way to start the ClinEpi course sometime in the early 90s. And so I've been teaching the same lecture, you know, ever since. But I think, you know, as far as favorite teaching moments, there's so many teaching moments, you know, from that class. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. And listening to people's projects that I'd have to say that that's been kind of a highlight. So you've You've seen the VA go through several generations and oh, yeah. probably lots of changes. How has it changed? Oh, my God. Well, we didn't have enough space then, sure. so we still don't have enough space. So in that way, you know, it hasn't changed that much. There have been buildings that have been knocked down. There are buildings that have gone up. The current place where I practice medicine now in the primary care clinic in 1F didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Where you walked in now, I, I can't really describe it well, but it was a giant open area where people walked in and, you know, all the MSAs, you know, our clerks would all be sitting there smoking. <laughs> um, the patients would be smoking. And, you know, it was kind of a kind of a wild environment. We had an emergency room. It was really small, sliding glass door to the outside. I do remember one night a patient wanted to be seen pretty quickly while I was when I was chief resident, so he just drove his Jeep through the front class door, and it worked. He got seen pretty quickly. Oh, my goodness. He was fine, but the door wasn't. It was drafty for a while after that, I imagine. It was, yes, it was drafty for a while. <laughs> um, the CLC didn't exist then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a little nice little hospital in the woods, mm-hmm. literally in the woods. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, when I first started the VA, Duke North had just been built. Mm-hmm. So Duke North was built when I was a third-year medical student. So I was here the day of the move. You know, and all the trees between Duke South and the VA had been knocked down. So you literally used to walk through woods to get to the VA. Wow. We are building a cancer center. Mm-hmm. Cancer center is something that I wanted from the time I was a hematology fellow when I realized just how far our patients with cancer had to walk to get to the various places. So that uh, a building's been knocked down, and we'll have one of the first cancer centers in the VA. The ICUs were real different. The mm-hmm. ICU used to be, I believe it was on 6B. So we had the CCU really? and the MICU were on 6B. Huh. The CCU was like the far end of 6B. And then the little hallway where you turn left, that was the MICU. And then we had a bunk bed that we shared with the, the, you know, the MSU and the CCU resident, you know, had a bunk bed that they slept right there on the ward. It was pretty crowded. You know, we, you guys have a meal card now. They would bring us white bread and bologna and mayonnaise sandwiches every night we were on call. They were really disgusting. Who they? The VA. That the was VA. Their, that was our meal. Oh, dear. It was, it was horrible. You know, which tickles me when we see how much food the house staff get. Our cafeteria is not half bad anymore. So that's improved. Yeah, so a lot of physical changes. 
Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the footprint of the property hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, led us to create clinics in Greenville and Raleigh and Moorhead City. Raleigh is going to be very interesting opportunity for growth. It's going to have a huge clinic that we'll have to staff. Some of our specialty faculty will be going over there. I don't know that our residents will be going over there, but some of our fellows might. Okay, cool. So we've talked a lot about how it's changed. This might be a harder question. How has it stayed the same? Well, the chief resident's office is still the chief resident's office. That hasn't changed at all. I walk in there and still remember sitting in there. And sometimes I think it's still my office because you spend a lot of time there during your chief year. You still have residents that are really excited to be there. I still feel like the second year resident rotation at the VA is one of the cornerstones of the program. Totally agree. Um, I think it was then, and I think it is, I think it may be even more so Mm -hmm. um, now. It's your first Um, experience as a team leader. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we sort of treated them equally when the the VA and medicine and the Duke experience, the structure was the same. So the second and third years were exactly the same. So now there's sort of a progression from second to third year, but, but that second year at the VA is still the cornerstone year. I also think most of the residents would agree with me that at the end of their second year, you do so much general medicine and so much intensive care unit experience that that's the time where you feel most confident that you can keep a patient alive through the night. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly like powerful feeling that I can keep someone alive through the night. I may not know what in the heck was wrong with you, but I can keep you alive. Yep. And I was narcissistic enough to believe that if you did die on me, there was nothing that could have been done. <laughs> you were just too sick and that was sort of fate. But it's really, really empowering. And you know, I know when residents are at the hospital overnight doing overnight call that they get tired, you know, but there is something about being at the VA at night that I think still exists. And that is you're walking through the place and you own the place. Mm-hmm. It's like, it feels like this is my hospital. Yeah. Anything that goes wrong here, they're going to call me. I'm going to respond. I'm going to take care of it. And you walk a little taller. You feel kind of proud about what you're doing. You feel scared, but yet competent. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's just something about, you know, the environment and sort of the spirit of the place that I think still exists. Yeah, and it's the only one in this training program that's like that. Oh, totally. The vast majority of the patients at the VA are managed by trainees. Oh, that, that's definitely true. Yes, whereas at true. DRH or at Duke, it's mostly run by hospitalists. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think there, there, there are more attendings around and there are more attendings present. And you're not, let's just say it, maybe as abandoned as we were when I was a house officer. (laughs) I kind of liked being abandoned and trying to figure it out myself. (laughs) Well, you can still be abandoned if you want to. Well, you could be, yeah, Yeah. but (laughs) that's not the expectation anymore. But there's something about, you know, being being sort of there by yourself and forcing yourself to learn that really, I think, accelerates the learning process. It's not all negative to sort of be there by yourself and have to figure things out. Yeah, and I also like that the patients aren't siloed. You know, at big university centers, there's the cardiology patients and the neurology patients and the hemoc patients, and you never see them on gen med. So if you're on a given rotation, you sort of have an idea of what you will and will not see. But at the VA overnight, 
literally anything can fall into your plate. And that makes it a little bit more exciting. Okay, is there anything else you really wanted to talk about? Any Um, parting thoughts, Dr. Simel? Why should we be proud to work at the VA? We should be proud to work at the VA because of the patients you're taking care of. And don't lose the opportunity to learn some history about the country and about what these patients have, have gone through. I couldn't agree with you more, Dr. Samuel. And thank you so much, really, for making the time to talk with me today. And on behalf of everyone, for your guidance and your teaching and your leadership over the years, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. I've enjoyed it. And as always, the opinions and views expressed during this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Durham VA Hospital or the Department of Veterans Affairs.